minus 40 seconds. minus 30 seconds. T minus 20 seconds. Play It By Ear podcast. The podcast where the topics may vary because, hey, we play it by ear. And now your hosts, Eric Fiscus, Brady Lining, and Todd Griffin. Well, make that Eric Fiscus and Brady Liming. Hello, Todd hello. Is, Todd is out of town, so it's just a duo tonight. Um, He's uh, across state lines. Yes. And podcasting across state lines dictates a federal offense, so he just has to listen tonight. Well, <laughs> if, he did, if he did that, the federal government may try to take us over, and we don't want that. So... Uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll just carry the load tonight. Um, however, uh, Brady and I were kind of discussing what direction we wanted to go and it, it did give us the ability here. And as, as we've talked about before, Todd is a little younger than us. So there are actually some things where Brady and I have a shared, uh, existence with certain things where Todd's a little too young to have really had that same existence. So, uh, we may be going a little bit farther back in the Wayback Machine here tonight. Whippersnapper. Yeah, the old whippersnappers. Um, so uh, some of you uh, more aged members of our audience may uh, get a little bit more out of uh, the, uh, again, the trip in the Wayback Machine tonight. The nostalgia factor uh, will be probably more geared toward uh, 70s, early 80s sort of things. So I uh, hope you enjoy. And I hope uh, the people who are here who may not tie into that, I hope you stick around anyway. If you're if you're Todd's age or a little younger, it's okay. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll uh, tie into some things that are still sort of relevant and uh, hope you enjoy. So uh, anything for the good of the order, Brady? Um, just a reminder that we still have Play It By Ear t-shirts available. Um, we have them in multiple sizes. And... Buy them. They're, they look awesome. They make our awesome-looking audience look even better, if that's possible. Go. There you go. And uh, we'll discuss that a little bit further here uh, when we get to some of our breaks in between our topics. But uh, people checking in, uh, Miss Wilson, welcome. Well, they change. They change a little thingy there with uh, the Facebook, and uh, that's that's cool what they did with that. Haven't seen that yet. Uh, what do you mean? Oh, it does look different, doesn't it? Yeah, the picture's a little bigger. And Jim, 
Hope your summer's going well. Savannah's with us. They're filing in. They're flocking like the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, as we said, we're going to go a little bit further back in the way back machine tonight. Probably uh, we have a musical bent to this particular episode. Uh, music and TV, I think, are two uh, driving factors here tonight. So sit back, enjoy what we have, and uh, we'll get you all involved here shortly. Uh, we'll do some fact or fiction here at the end, which involves some musical things as well. Brady, you look like you have something on your list. Oh, I was just say, uh, get ready to participate. All right. So, uh, again, if you've not been here before, we talk uh, 20-ish minutes on a topic we bring to the table. We've not had uh, previous discussions about said topics, and uh, so everything we do here is what we call organic discussion. Uh, it's just totally, as the show says, play it by ear. We play the discussion by ear. Uh, I will go first. Uh, Brady will go second, and then uh, I'll come back third there with, the, again, the fact or fiction thing. So... <laughs> Uh, we did a topic. I, I don't know how long. How long ago was it, Brady? The um, what the one the topic we were talking about earlier today? Oh, uh, songs that we wanted to banish. Yeah, yeah. The the that came up on my Facebook feed today, and uh, it, it was from 2017. I was listening to a show called uh, Debatable on Sirius XM, and that was their question: What song would you? like to banish so i put out there on facebook had about 200 comments it was like a a pre-play it by ear topic and people were chiming in it was kind of cool to read back again um brady you do you remember uh just on a side note with all that you said creed anything by creed do you remember saying that i i do remember saying that um uh creed it was the epitome of the pickle-throated singers the the you know, the, the whole dearth of pickle-throated early 90s. <laughs> you know, and um, so uh, Creed was kind of the... Pearl Jam did it first, yes. and then kind of Stone Temple Pilots. By the time Creed rolled around, it kind of felt like... Uh, and I'm not being critical. They they did some very good songs, but eh, it just wore on me after a while. And I wish I had kept those comments up because you also talked about... Florida Georgia line. No. <laughs> you said this band name, Florida Georgia something something. For, Florida Georgia line. No, no, you strung a bunch of band names together in this one huge band name. It's like it was all the same. Oh, um, wait a minute. Florida Georgia for Florida Georgia Luke Machesnagarth or something like that because yeah, like some, they were like based Uh-oh, he's frozen. Brady, you're frozen. Joey, Florida Georgia Outhouse, my, my take exactly. Todd, welcome. Can't wait to hear you comment on what we're uh, talking about here through Facebook. And uh, Florida Georgia after birth. Uh, Brady, you're frozen. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'll go ahead. I'll, uh, I'll take this thing as a solo here for the time being. And uh, my topic, as I said, is uh, has to do with song meanings. And 
it is uh, songs that mean things that you really didn't know. Uh, you have a suspicion that the song means a certain thing, but it didn't really mean that thing. Uh, there's some uh, classic uh, examples of that and uh, some other things that uh, I was kind of surprised by. I'm reading through this thing, but uh, um, we'll go through them and uh, hopefully Brady will get unfrozen here. There he is. I hear him beeping in. You were did you feel naked? I did feel naked. Don't don't leave me hanging like that again. I shan't. That that was just a flat out drop. I I, I just watched the little bars thing go to nothingness, and I'm like, nah. I'm surprised my face wasn't frozen. Going, <laughs> Todd, uh, you were gone when Todd chimed in there. Todd is in Cracker Barrel having a beer. <laughs> that, I'll that tell is... you what else he'll be having here in a couple hours. So, you know what I. Becky and I ate Cracker Barrel on Sunday and PJ. My thought was, if you're going to have alcohol in the Cracker Barrel, it should be moonshine, shouldn't it? It should be. I mean, it's just me, but... Uh... Um, the one that cracked me up was, um, you know, I we discovered this also in Tennessee. Like, on the way back, we ate breakfast at a Cracker Barrel before we started home. And there, there's nothing wrong with it, but the fact that Rosé was offered at a Cracker Barrel. Just, I cannot imagine anybody sitting at a Cracker Barrel. It's like, Paul, me, can I have the Rosé? Well, of, of course it's canned wine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that boxed makes a little bit wine. More a little bit more hillbilly. Can I can just say, well, I'm playing the, when I'm playing the high cue and I figure out I'm an ignorant moose, can I have a rosy, please? <laughs> a rosy. A rosy. All right, so now you're back. I'll go forward with my topic here again. Uh, it's about uh, 25 famous songs with misunderstood meanings. So these are songs that we probably had an idea that we thought we knew what they meant, but they really didn't mean that thing. So the first song, one of my favorites, actually, by the band Semisonic, Closing Time. Yeah. So Brady, what do you think Closing Time is about? Well, me and the guys did vinyl countdown on the barcodes. We did, uh, that was our traditional end of the night song a lot of times. Um, and I assumed it was about closing down the bar and nobody wanting to go home. I really didn't dwell upon it too much because it seems like it's kind of like, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. It just sounds like the closing of a bar, but I'm sure you're going to correct me on this. I, I will correct you on this. All right. So uh, the front man of Semisonic, whose name is Dan Wilson, who also played uh, for the Reds, if you remember, he was a catcher for the Reds. Not not really? the same guy, I'm sure. Uh, not the same guy, but he had, had the Reds had a Dan Wilson. Who, okay. But anyway, um, closing time is about childbirth and having children. Huh? Uh, his wife and him were expecting their first child soon after he wrote the song. Uh, if you if you look at the lyric, time for you to go out to the places you will be from. Talking about becoming a parent. I don't know about this. Hey. He might say that. Well, so, so you're arguing with the guy that wrote the song. Well, we... Uh, 
we have tongue and cheekly said this song is about such and such. And not really meant it. But no, I, I it sounds like he's being serious, but I, I I'm not catching that at all. Well, I mean, I don't I don't think you would joke around about having your first child. I mean, that's 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 a pretty solemn event. I mean, right? It is. So how did it morph into a closing down the bar um, song? Well, it's it's closing down your. Uh, I don't know, for lack of your a better term, uh, empty nest hood. youth. Well, yeah, maybe something like that. Uh, your empty nest hood. Now you are responsible for more things than just, you know, whatever it is you were responsible for before you now have this kid. But uh, man. My mind is blown. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Imagine, John Lennon. What do you think? What was that? Imagine, John Imagine. Lennon. Imagine. Oh, 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 John Lennon. Um, well, I mean, he kind of talks about, you know, imagine a world with all these, you know, some of them are positive and some of them look negative that he's making you think about imagine a world without those things or with those things. Yeah. Uh, Lennon called the song virtually the communist manifesto. <laughs> um, which doesn't surprise me at all, really. No, no. I mean, I, I, that's, that's more what I thought was about than uh, something that was, you know, utopian. Yeah. Utopian. That's a good word. Um, I read an interesting piece about John Lennon that right before he died, that he had pretty much disavowed all of his previous beliefs in Marxist Leninism, utopianism, and realized it was kind of a farce based on human nature. Um, and that John Lennon would have, had he lived to a ripe old age, would have probably surprised us with some of the things that, you know, probably that he would probably turn into a very cancel worthy subject. Yes. So, uh, I, I forgot to get to the comments here, uh, back to the closing time discussion. So Jim says, what, how do you get the line? I know who I want to take me home. Maybe that's from the perspective of the, the newborn baby from the baby. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's the baby. Maybe he was just really tired. It's like, okay, kid, you're getting your wings. You're going to drive home. You're going to earn your keep. Right, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Joey says, uh, one last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. That's about the bar, man. How, However, again, your, your without child life is different than your with child life. So you can't be doing that anymore. Well, not to the Once extent. Once the youth comes along. Not to the extent, probably. Yes. So, um, interesting bend there. It is. So, like I said, imagine. I, I don't I don't think we need to worry about that one too much. Delve into like that I said, one. I, I, Communist Manifesto doesn't surprise me at all, really. All right. Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> Bonnie Tyler. What, what do you think? All right. Well, we know that they're wanting bright eyes to turn around. Yes. 
I'm going to go dark only be only because I am probably this closing time thing. It's is it about the loss of a child? It is not. Okay. It is a love song. Okay. It is a. It was written by Jim Steinman. Did you know? Oh that? yeah, of Miat Loaf fame. Miat Loaf, yes. It's a vampire love song. Really? Yes. Uh, the original song title was Vampires in Love. So uh, he was working on a musical, uh, which was a, a vampire musical, and this was one of the songs in the musical. Uh, all about darkness, power, darkness, and love's place in the dark. Well. How about that? <laughs> it, it's not as good as the parody. <laughs> no. Which, which is a story for another time. <laughs> Probably a story that can't be told here. Yes. <laughs> um, and Joey, <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, I forget what movie was it where... Um, where the the cover band was dropping all the <laughs> every freaking time I turn around, yeah, but yeah, it is other, a that's a classic other, scene. The the other f bomb. All right, like a virgin, <laughs> Madonna. Well, well, she made it through the wilderness. She finally made it through. Is it about? A safari that she went on and it was her first time in Africa? No. Uh, this song Wrong was answers only. Yeah, right. Uh, th this song was not originally meant for a female performer. Uh, it is about relationships, going into a new relationship. Okay. I'm, I'm all shiny and new in a new relationship I'm, it feels so good it's healing all the wounds that happened before i feel like i've never done this before just about love the just first blushes of love. love new love new love you know of course madonna arriving on stage at the mtv video music awards and a bridal game kind of changed the context didn't yeah, it? it it did but uh, just about new love huh <laughs> Summer of 69, Brian Adams. Well, another barcodes, Noble Hardyman vinyl countdown classic. I mean, it's talking about him looking back on his days as a band, his first garage band. And, you know, they probably weren't that serious. And he was the one that wanted to go on and make it. But I'm sure there's more. Um. <clears throat> summer of 69 isn't so much about brian adams waxing nostalgic over the dog days of 1969 when he would only been 10 years old as much it is as it is a reference to a certain position of the same name actually more about making love in the summertime and the number is used as a reference to a certain position No. Hey, I died. I just delivered the information. You're just delivering the goods, man. Um. Now I had heard that he he would have been too young, but he liked that because it, the way that it kind of filled in the gaps and hit fit the rhythm of the song, 
and just the way that it sounded. But th- <laughs> this is this is straight from Brian Adams in a 2008 interview. Was so. it straight from the heart? Yeah, <laughs> 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 I see what you did there. All right, REM, the one I love. Ooh, this is going back to my dalliances and alternative music before it was acceptable. Yep. Um, I still remember you guys all looking at me sideways when I bought the REM green cassette and you're like, what is this? Yes. Um, this one goes out to the one I love. This one goes out to the one I left behind. Just another romance. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking it's pondering maybe past relationships or just like mean random flings, but I'm sure it goes deeper. Uh, the, the song, according to Michael Stipe, brutal, really violent and awful. Uh, he, he, he was really taken aback at the fact that it's not about love. <laughs> it's, it's about anti-love. It's, and then people would take it as a love song. And he said he would look out in the audience and see people, couples kissing and wonder why. And uh, now I, I will give him that. Uh, just a simple romance or just a simple prop to occupy my time. Doesn't sound like he is giving a lot of emotional investment that it's more of a physical thing. But um, I agree that, I mean, it, it, if you just listen to it remotely, you know, it's a little bit cynical, but I don't think it's a huge jump. No, you know, prob- he, he shouldn't be terribly offended that somebody, you know, true. All right. Uh, Joey says that song is probably about doing things, uh, things that you do when you're bored. And uh, might be like about closing, closing the door if you get my drift. Uh. <laughs> self, uh, self-appreciation, uh, to, <laughs> to put in a democratic term. All right. Third Eye Blind, Semi-Charmed Life. Now, I might be spoiling some of the drama on this one because I think I've heard this, but I never caught it. Isn't it about being addicted to meth? It is about a couple doing crystal meth on a binge. Wow. It's such a happy tune. Yeah, it's just a total dissonance of message and tune. But he says that's intentional because... That is the type of, not that I've done crystal meth, but he says that is the type of feeling that you have when you are interesting on crystal meth and it's kind of bouncy and it's kind of do, 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 do. Yeah. I could see what he was going for with that. Um, it, it's kind of, I mean, just like psychedelic rock reflected, um, you know, well, ingesting, hallucinogenic substances hence psychedelic rock and it a lot of it that was made kind of sounds like people were tripping and it sounds trippy so um i i get that that's kind of an interesting uh artistic like that it's that balance i've never really thought about it that way i just never caught i really never paid much attention to the lyrics so i didn't dive into it too much but i just kind of heard that at one time 
All right, Joey beat me to the punch. He says they say crystal meth during the song, and yes, indeed, one of the lines in the in the lyrics, "Doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break." So, it's actually in Man. the song. All right, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, "American Girl." Um, it, it it's such a poetic song. It's such a literary. It, it it's written like a book or a poem the lyrics about, you know, the American idea like this, um, you know, I don't do bones. I don't do bones. <laughs> You'll have to tell that story in a minute. Um, but we have a piper down. We've got the piper down. My, uh, microphone just dropped off its arm. Well, it's okay. I could hold it here for a second. Um, to where between segments, and then I can, uh, I'll just lay on the singer right here. Um, so, um, but anyway, like the lyrics, you know, raised on a promise. It's a great big world. It's a girl looking for someone, the big American dream. Um, but I know it's got to be something darker because it was used in Silence of the Lambs by one of the victims. There's an urban legend about what the song is about. Do you know what that is? I do not. The urban legend is it was inspired by a uh, University of Florida student girl who died by suicide. Ah. Uh, The second verse references both a girl standing alone on her balcony and could hear the cars roll by out on 441, which is a highway near University of Florida. Gainesville. Yep. So the the urban legend says she jumped off the balcony onto the highway, but uh, that's not what it's about. Really? Yeah. Uh, Patty just says very simply, it's a beautiful love song. That's all it is. Nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. Because like I said, it, it's very well written. Um, it is. It, it just lyrically, it just feels a little bit different. It feels a little bit more artistic and depthy. And uh, Tom Petty was good at that. He was a master wordsman. So, yes. Phil Collins in the air tonight. <laughs> now, I do know the urban legend of this one. And I also read the Phil Collins autobiography, so I know the urban legend's not true. Right. But can we wax about it for a moment? Because it's an awesome story. It, it's a very good story. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell it. If you've got it, especially if you've got it in front of you. Okay, so the urban legend uh, about this particular song was that he came across this man who refused to save a drowning swimmer. So comes up on a, a, a watering a water hole there somehow, and this guy's drowning out there, and this other guy's standing on the bank refusing to go save him. So then he, according to the legend, invites the guy who refused to save the drowning victim to a concert to stand in the front row and then be verbally berated by this song, which basically is, you know, kind of calling him out for not saving the drowning victim. That's the urban legend. And I'll tell you not to get on my soapbox about my favorite show, but uh, Miami Vice used this song. Yeah, and it was one of the episodes where crap was going to go down, and somebody was going to get their comeuppance, like justice, dark justice was going to happen. And that song was played in the background, and then that's when I it fits, <laughs> you know that yeah. 
you know, it, it was coming and it has right. that vibe. Right. But, um, man. Did he say in the uh, book what it was about, actually? Um, a lot of his songs at that time, he had a very, very, very bitter divorce. Yeah. He was a broken and hurt man. Yes. And um, his wife had had an affair with the house painter. And, um, so he was very damaged, like his heart was broken and, you know, he'd his family had evaporated by no fault of his. So that was a song that kind of harkened back to that bitterness, but, um, but the urban legend's awesome. But he told the BBC, he didn't really know what it was about. Really? Yeah. Um, Miss Wilson. Colin said he was drumming and the song just came out, which is essentially what he said. I don't know what it's about. It was during my divorce. Just kind of came out. Doesn't really have a meeting. So I'm going to mute you while you fix that. So once you get fixed, we'll, uh, we'll go back to you. But uh, so our next song, uh, Good Riddance. Good Riddance, Brady time of your life green day so this is one that's always used i've been bitten by the gray goose tonight <laughs> so so this song is always used uh seems like as a graduation song you always hear it at graduations <laughs> really that, i never that's have why, that's that's I've, I've heard it at many a grant i'd like not, at gra not not at the ceremony itself but in regard to in relation to graduation, I've had the time of my life sort of thing. Huh. Heard, heard it, heard it at, uh, three different school districts now where they had like little gatherings for their graduating seniors and that song was played. And so, yeah. Interesting. Um, and actually uh, the, this particular thing here says it's perennial choice for the best prom song. So uh, apparently it's, uh, and it's always played there as well. Um, I had no clue. Really misunderstood. It's uh, not about having the time of your life at all. It's basically about uh, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, uh, which is the lead singer of, of Green Day. He said he wrote the song about a girlfriend of his that was moving to Ecuador and uh, titled the song Good Riddance out of frustration with the breakup that she was leaving. Good riddance. Go, go away. Interesting. All right. So uh, I, I will mention this one, although I think probably everyone knows uh, the, the relation here. Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, always, when it first came out, people thought of it as a uh, sort of a, an anthem of sorts. A patriotic uh, flag waving. Yeah. Uh, not actually that at all. It's uh, no. basically calling America to task about how they treated uh, Vietnam veterans when they came home. So, I, I, I like I said, I think that one's pretty well known. I would think. Seems like. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Oh come on! What do you mean? Oh come on! It's obviously about one accidentally turning loose their canines. In a, in a Caribbean island, and because it was close to the beach, they had to jump into the water to run from such 
these said canines and somebody got upset and said, who pretty let these dogs out? <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey says it's about, uh, uh, not so attractive women in the club. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, actually, uh, gentleman by the name of Anselm Douglas wrote the song. And in an interview, he said, it's a song about a good time being ruined, ruined by ruined, ruined by men catcalling and harassing women. Everyone's having a good time. Yippee. I O remember that from the song. Then jerks start treating women like objects and it ruins everything. Wolf, wolf, wolf. So the dogs that were let out were these catcalling men. Huh. I, I never pegged that song yeah. to be an anti-harassment anthem. Nor did I. That's very interesting. I learned something today. Good. Now that's what we try to do here. <laughs> Knowing half the battle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Goo Goo Dolls slide. I like this song. What do you think? Well, I'm kind of thinking about the lyrics. Um, it it sounds like he's pining for somebody that might not know it. I'll, I'll do everything, you know, to make you like run away. Should we get married or run away? Um, maybe the person does not know. <laughs> so he's on fire tonight. Sure. <laughs> um yeah yeah i'm gonna go with something like that the unrequited love okay uh no joey slide is not about ricky henderson breaking the stolen base record <laughs> ricky henderson might disagree <laughs> <laughs> ricky henderson runs the bases very well ricky henderson says right. he's very famous for referring to himself <laughs> in first person <laughs> all right so uh surface level level reading of this uh song there in the lyrics forbidden young love thrills of disappointing your parents and a boyfriend imploring you to run away with him however it's a little deeper than that uh the song's actually about two teenage kids girlfriend gets pregnant and they're trying to decide whether she should get an abortion or they should get married or what should go on wow so it's it's a little deeper than yeah what you might think all right, Brady, I know you know this one because uh, you you essentially brought this song to the United States. <laughs> I'm Los, sorry. I know what you're going to say. Los Del Rio, Macarena. Yep. So uh, before we even start to expound upon this, my, my old roommate from college, we had just graduated from college, so we had real jobs. So we was like, let's finally, since we can afford it, let's go to Cancun for spring break. Had some time off. And that song was everywhere down there, but it it, it wasn't the American. It was the actual version. And um, it, it was kind of interesting because, you know, I didn't know what was going on. It was all in Spanish, but everybody was doing this dance. Now, I'm not saying I loved it. I'm just saying I was aware of it, and then it hit. Then it hit, 
So it, um, it, it literally hit the same time you came back from that vacation. So that's why I say you brought the song back here. Yeah. And Jim Heron wants to really talk to you about bringing that song back <laughs> here because he wants the song banished. So uh, Brady, what's, what's about? Well, um, well, well, I mean, would I be a punce if I just, I, I think I know. And I think I remember it. Will that kind of ruin it? No, go ahead. It, isn't it about a famous, like um, one of the Spanish soap opera stars? It, it was about a soap opera star. Um, like the really melodramatic kind that are awesome to watch. I, I, I don't know. According to what I'm reading here, it doesn't say anything about a soap opera star, but. Uh, it's about a young woman who cheats on her boyfriend with two of his friends while he's enlisting in the army. Yeah. So I, I think the name Macarena, the, the story, but I, I think the name comes from a soap opera character. I, I'll have to check that out, but oh yeah, Cause the Americanized version, the, the English speaking kind of alludes to that a little bit. And she did not sound like a nice girl. No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right Macarena or Margaritaville Jimmy Buffett well I mean it, I mean it just sounds like my dream where somebody ends up in the Caribbean and just like ah I'm going to live out this Caribbean slow paced lifestyle. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the narrator of the song is constantly blackout drunk, getting tattoos. <laughs> he can't remember and grappling with who's responsible for his downfall. A woman, maybe him, definitely him <laughs> while wasting away so badly. He can't even find the salt. <laughs> Well, I mean that that that's I mean that's making it a little bit tawdry. I'm just thinking <laughs> that's the song in a nutshell, right? Yeah. I I mean I was just thinking about somebody who went down there on business or pleasure and you know had a little bit too much fun. It's like, hey, you know, this is great feeling rough today, but yeah, I could live here. I, I'm just gonna waste away the rest of my life in the sunshine catering to tourists and such. Well, I guess the misunderstanding of this particular song is you really don't look too far into the lyrics, but that last little thing I read there is essentially it's, it's a little, it's a little sad to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it may sound Some like people say it's a woman, my broken heart that put me here. It's been, but it's my own fault. I have a, I'm of a weak constitution and no self control. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm drunk on the beach all the time. I'm I'm stumbling over pop tops and and cutting my heel. And now, now see, I don't. Uh, that happens if you're not intoxicated. I mean, well, you, you you could blow out your flip flop when you're just minding your own beeswax walking to the beach. Doesn't mean <laughs> that you're you know impaired beyond belief, but it does fit though. It does. All right. Nana, 99 Luftballons. Luftballons. Um, 
I do know that this one is definitely a Cold War epic. It is. And and again, it's one of those fancy <laughs> little uh, synthesizer hits from the uh, <laughs> early, early, early mid-80s. Yeah. A little darker tone to it. If yeah, it, it does. Um, and um, Nana, they, they were a German band. Yes. And, um, you know, they lived in a divided country or heck, even a divided city. So right. that like one, you know, one. That red blue <laughs> Joey's killing me tonight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the visual and everything about like it was all. Yeah, it was just mistake. Nuclear obliteration. And society is gone and she just lets off a red balloon and that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, here's the thing, though. It, it's it's a little, little deeper than that because. Okay. So the guitarist for the band wrote the song. He initially got the idea for the song when Mick Jagger released thousands of balloons into the sky at the end of a 1982 Rolling Stones concert in West Berlin. Got him wondering what would happen if the balloons crossed into Soviet airspace were mistaken for UFOs, and it set off a chain reaction of nukes flying around the world. Darn Mick Jagger. Yes. As added depression fuel, the song ends with the narrator finding a single balloon in the ruins of the world. Interesting. Yes. That's a great song. It is a good song. All right. Gangnam Style. Oh, Lord. It's an awful song. The, the only thing I know about it... <laughs> what? <laughs> Your reaction. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, that... Oh. With, see, novelty songs, I know there's always, like, something running through it, but all I know is Gangnam... I, I think a lot of people mistook it for gangster style, but Gangnam is actually a suburb, a Tony suburb of Seoul, South Korea, right? It is. So it would Beverly. be like us saying Indian Hill style or Beverly Hills style. Correct. But, but here's the tie. Here's the tie in. So the song is about, the big money lifestyle being absurdly pathetic. So that that's the whole basis. Of, uh, and I don't want to throw a stone, but kind of Kardashian kind of. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, like tacky opulence. Uh, the, the quote here is where trust funders eat cheap food in order to afford expensive coffee that they conspicuously down in one sip instead of savoring. Hmm. So, like, overly hyper-consumer culture. Yes. Um, on a side note, like, I, I have no problem, like, people wanting nice, but, like, the only time that it just clunked on me big time was one time where, um, you know, just one of these, I don't even know what the article was about, but it was talking about Jennifer Aniston. This was back in, you know, like, the late 90s where she was wearing a um, $1,500 pair of flip-flops. 
and swear to God, they looked like flip flops that you would get at the dollar store. Right. So why? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. If I was a billionaire, I do have limits. You know what I mean? Would need many limits as a billionaire. Person. No, no. I, you know, absolute money and absolute power absolutely corrupts, you know. That is true. All right. I think. Uh, <laughs> turning Japanese. <laughs> Don't. It's not about that. Really? The song is about angst and turning into something you didn't expect. I saw your picture. Lyrics, you've got me turning up and turning down and turning in and turning round. (laughs) Um... I, I thought it was was it the about just the invasion of Japanese technology in the eighties, like Sony and all those in like kind of that? No, I think it's just someone turning into something they didn't expect. Not about a big society, you know, anthem or anything, just So it just needed to be a three syllable nationality. I, I guess I'm turning argentine i think i'm turning argentine like it that could have worked too you just pick the probably so yeah now if you don't know the song generally has been thought to be about um self-love yes (laughs) so (laughs) chicken teriyaki everywhere yes yes jerry maxwell how are you doing sir Apparently and a cautionary well. tale. Yes. Apparently not well because he went to the Adams County Fair and had a French fry handle cut his gums. That's why I break off the javelin handles and leave them behind because fear of pierced gums. I'm ahead of my time. And you're a poet and you don't know it. <laughs> I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I meant to do that. All right, I think we've exhausted that whole topic there. That is amazing, though. That was fun. It was fun. If there's more, we'll have to do that again when Todd's back. Uh, I bet he had. I, I bet his he would have some pithy insights to some of these. Oh, I'm sure. All right. So before we get into Brady's topic, um, once again, we will. Uh, he mentioned our shirts. Uh, having an issue. There it is. All right. So if you go to our website, www.playbyyourpodcast.com, and you go to the store, which is the, the store link uh, there in the top uh, menu, you scroll all the way down at the bottom of the page, you'll find a picture of one of our new t-shirts. You can click on that picture and it will take you to buymeacoffee.com, which is our crowdsourcing website. And you can click on buy a t-shirt and get this and you can buy your own t-shirt. If you become a member of our podcast, you can get the t-shirt for $15 and membership can also be done through the site there. So that's how you do it. And uh, this is how we know it. 
So, uh, as Brady said, we have a variety of different sizes. If we don't have a particular size that you need, we can get it. So, I know I've got a couple people that I've got uh, to get some sizes for that we didn't have on hand. So, that is in the works. We aim to please. We do. All right, Brady. (laughs) Okay. Are you waiting with bated breath? I am. Okay. Now, this is a topic that has been discussed for a while. And um, it, it just seems like it's the right time because I'd seen a reference to it earlier this week and it popped into my head. And this is something as a child of the early 80s <laughs> that for those of you out there that are children of the early 80s, where you probably caught the pop culture references to it. And that is the very special episode of certain famous sitcoms. And the very special episode, by definition, was actually a euphemism. It wasn't a fun party episode. Usually a very special episode meant that it was going to harsh or mellow real quick. So it was going to be, in the sitcom world, more situation than comedy. Yes. And it took on serious topics and used the whimsical sitcom to try to sneak some heaviness into your life when you weren't looking. They were going to educate you whether you liked it or not. Right. And slip it into your fun. Yes. So is that an accurate depiction, Eric? That is a very accurate depiction. And um, this comes from ScreenRant.com. And um, they're opening to this. It says, if you like your nostalgia, extra preachy and unsettling, take a tip from the very special episodes from TV history. Now, we I do have to offer this disclaimer from the bottom of our hearts. Now, seriously, some of these are serious and disturbing topics, and we are not making light of the people that's gone through these plights. What we're kind of making light of is the ham-handed attempt. That's a very good description, ham-handed. Ham-handed. When you see a fly on the wall, you don't use a 12-gauge shotgun to rid yourself of it. (laughs) And sometimes these very special episodes kind of brought it to the hoop a little bit too much. And, okay, I was a sensitive child, and some of these kind of scarred me. Yes. Let me, because, you know, you thought it was going to be a bigger problem than it actually was. So once again, hear us out. We're not making light of the serious situations. We're kind of poking fun at the shows and how they did it. So are we all on the same page? Yes. Okay. So I'm using their order, not mine, although I am going to make one adjustment. And Eric knows what it is. Yes, we haven't discussed this, but we've got simpatico on this. So, um, here we go. Um, the the first one on the list is the very special Saved by the Bell episode called Jesse Song. <laughs> Eric, you can sing it. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm we... so excited. Okay. Um. Okay, Saved by the Bell offered a heavy-handed lesson about sometimes about ecological uh, ecological issues, um, but Jesse's song is especially special for its over-the-top portrayal of the effects of caffeine pills 
So, so, um, so, so that, that is, I think that's the rub. You couldn't really take it fully seriously because if Jesse had been taken, like we mentioned earlier, crystal meth, I mean, that's serious. I mean, if she had, she had burst into, I'm so excited while on crystal meth. I mean, that's a serious deal. She took a few extra notos. Yeah. Or I, I, I think a an equivalent would be if a kid drank a couple Red Bulls and then had this over-the-top breakdown, right. you know? And on top of the fact that, and I'll, I'll be as diplomatic as I can be here, um, well, Elizabeth Berkeley, that's her name, right? Yeah. Her her acting left a little to be desired. Let's just No, stop it. As 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 I said, trying to be as diplomatic as I can be. She was robbed in showgirls. <laughs> robbed, I tell you. Actually, she literally was in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> which, she was. which which is about what like one of the most inexplicable movie scenes ever is when the guy takes her suitcase and she just vomits on the taxi. Because <laughs> when somebody steals something from me, my first thing is I'm gonna puke. Exactly. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, I think I made my point, and I think you reiterated my point. Yeah, but um, what this says, according to one of the episode's co-writers, the disparity between Jesse Spano's scenery-gobbling meltdown, which would anticipate Elizabeth Berkeley's camp classic turn in Showgirls by several years, and the actual effects of taking the pharmaceutical equivalent of a Red Bull is due to the fact that NBC censors wouldn't let them show a high school student actually abusing amphetamines. There you go. So because it was a kids-based show, that even though it would have demonstrated the effects of illegal drugs like that and the seriousness, they just couldn't do it. They weren't allowed to do it. So they had to soft-pedal it. So, yeah. Makes sense. But, and then, of course, the, you know, Eric's reference, the big what do you call it? The big climax of the episode is when she melts down from taking too much caffeine and she just gets up and starts singing. I'm so excited by the pointer sisters and just basically <laughs> breaks down. Right. Yes. Uh, I think Jim's on to something here. It's a gateway drug. Next time she'll be having one too many monsters. <laughs> <laughs> she'll go to seven hour energy. <laughs> um, okay. The next one on the list. I've never heard of this one. This is a little bit post my kingdom. There's this is a little bit of gap between kingdom and adulthood, which was a murky area. So I did not watch much Boys Meets World. I, I'm aware of TV's Topanga. Yes. But anyway, but this episode was cult fiction. It aired slightly less than a month after um, the um, Heaven's Gate incident, right? Where a, a UFO apocalyptic cult committed mass suicide so um in boy meets world sean comes under the influence of an enigmatic and sinister cult leader named philip mack so um he was gonna drop out of school and everything in a anyway fun fact after winning an argument while comatose mr turner disappeared from boys meet boy meets world for 18 years until the new uh what do you call it um iteration of it so yeah, falling leader falling to a cult leader is not exactly your Saturday morning fair. Well, I mean, Boy Meets World was a Friday night show, right? 
one of those yeah. ABC Friday night things, but still, I mean, let, let's be honest here. How, <laughs> how often, how often does that happen? I mean, is it something that needs to be brought to the attention of the populace that, Hey, there may be sadistic cult leaders out there to, um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't really think this, but here's probably what they were thinking. It's like, wow, I bet these kids have a lot of questions about this cult. You know, what well, What if somebody approaches it? Well, we're going to do something. No, it's you're, half the you're, battle. You're, you're, you're so we're going to have an episode about just in case you do run into a cult leader, this is what could happen. Oh, wait a minute. You'll get my reference here. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that, that, that's the NBC one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, man, that's great stuff. <laughs> All right. Now, Eric, I think that you are going to um, absolutely lose your mind laughing at this. Because, A, it's about a show that we made a lot of jokes about. What's happening? I didn't remember what's happening having a very special episode, but go ahead. Oh, now I'm going to read you a title, and it's going to do a big old, a big old, uh, what's a swerve on you. It's Doobie or Not Doobie. <laughs> now, I bet I know what you're thinking. It's a, it's a show about the evils of... Marijuana. You would think, but no. What if I tell you that this is a very special episode about the evils of bootlegging concerts when the gang from What's Happening tried to tape a Doobie Brothers concert? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here is Triple M and Rerun. Yes. Right there. And, and Michael McDonald. That's Triple M. Oh, um, Dan Cummins of Time Suck fame. Uh, Michael McDonald's his favorite, and um, he he calls him Triple M because it's my Michael Mothercrab and McDonald. Right. He thinks he's the best voice ever. But anyway, uh, I. But I'm, uh, I'm totally on the end, other end of that spectrum. Every time I hear Michael McDonald, I just want to turn the radio off. Go ahead. <sighs> Anyway, yeah, um, the Facebook page for that episode of What's Happening, where rerun bootlegs the Doobie Brothers, currently has 574 likes. That's a win in their book. Um, but yeah, it, see, um, it turns out that um, Michael McDonald was more intimidating than the bootleggers, even getting the LAPD involved. You would think that a band named after marijuana cigarettes might be a little bit more chill about somebody taping their shows since a Grateful Dead did it for years. But uh, evident, but yeah, not kidding. So, all right. Um, this one is about a very special episode of Good Times. Good times. JJ's in trouble. JJ's always in trouble. Yes. Comedian Jimmy Walker's character, JJ, is famous for his dynamite. But in this episode of the third season, um, let's just say that he had to go to a free clinic Ooh. because he might have caught a disease that was transmitted by doing something he shouldn't have been doing. 
Gotcha. So he 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 picked up an epizootic from a lady friend. But um, what makes this funny is he must bring a visit to the free clinic where he meets a not yet famous Jay Leno, Jay Leno who laments that um, these diseases go undiagnosed because those are too embarrassed to have it treated. So here is Jay Leno. <laughs> nice. As a free clinic, uh, you know. With the round he, John Lennon glasses. Yes, in the, yes. In the so uh, now I'm going to be totally honest. Had I watched that episode as a youth, as old as I would have been, that would have been right over my head. Yep. Okay. Um, on a very special episode of MacGyver called really? Black Rhino, it was about the ill effects of poor environmental stewardship in poaching. About the poaching of um, rhinoceroses for um, traditional Eastern medicine and I'm the poaching of animals for such things. And I'm not laughing at that. I, I got to put Jim's comment up here. It hurts to pee. <laughs> Dynamite. <laughs> dang, dang, dang. <laughs> that was sort of a very special episode. That was. Sorry, we shouldn't be making light of that, but no. Eric could do it much better than I. <laughs> um, On a very special episode of Punky Brewster called Accidents Happen. Yes. And it was an episode that's dealing with sometimes bad things happen to good people by accidents. And it was in response to the Challenger tragedy. So they did a very special episode like, you know, where people were watching their teacher go up and, you know, the Challenger exploded. Right. And so right. they decided to take that opportunity to talk to kids and reach them about sometimes bad things happen to good people. Accidents happen. That's admirable. Yeah, that is. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I actually, you know, I won't even call that a weird one because it was very timely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Um. <laughs> on a very special episode of Quinky, or as we know, Quincy. Oh, I, I okay. Before you even go on, <laughs> is this the one about punk rock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> I am a classic fan of Quincy, and I think my friends know that. You you did love the Quink. I I, I still love the Quink. I I have watched many episodes of the Quink in the past few days because I found it on my satellite. And I, and, 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 but that one was even over the top for me. <laughs> Isn't it about a um? There okay um, a popular boogeyman for nineteen eighty two worry board. So is darn punk rock music and the kids slam dancing um, in the narrative wells. And this was like a ice pick stabbing. And it, it was, a, it was a condemnation of nihilism. And now here's, what's funny. Um, I finally broke down and watched the Hulu um, original biopic on the sex pistols. Yeah. And um, I'll get myself in trouble. I mean, that's just the, the least sympathetic people ever. Yes. You know what I mean? I don't get it. And um, I like a couple of their songs, but I, I 
I think that 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 music hatched from Britain where true class struggle and helplessness that I think there's a reason where punk rock was invented in England where it couldn't have hatched in America. I agree with that. And, um, but anyway, which is probably why it had a short shelf life here. It it did. And, um, well, no, I'm not saying punk. I'm not talking about punk music in general because there's great punk acts since then, but the original movement. Yeah. Quickly gave way. The anti-establishment. Yeah. And instead of like prog rock in its 10 minute orchestral interludes, it was a minute and 30 seconds of people just, you know, raw, you know. Yeah. So, um, but I do want to say I have to cross reference my lists because this would be a perfect segue. One of the after school specials, the ABC after school specials, was literally called, and I'm gonna. I want to make sure that I don't get it wrong. It's on the list of most ridiculous after school specials, and um, here we go. The day my kid went punk rock, <laughs> starring um, Doctor Adam Bricker from Love Boat. Really? Yes. How about that? And, um, but you know, like, but the way they treated it, the kid came out with the mohawk and you think that he would have like, you know, decapitated the dog and was drinking its blood. (laughs) It was just like very, very over the top. The people were really afraid of the punk movement. Yes, they were back then. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm amazed that you guess that. Is it, I've not seen that episode. Is it that over the top? No, it's terrible. I mean, I, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and Quincy Jack Klugman, a, a notorious over actor. Yeah, and got more preachy as the series went along. I mean, oh yeah. Originally, it was about you know finding causes of death and things, and then, then it became uh, the the cause celeb of the week. You know, I'm gonna yeah tackle air pollution, or I'm gonna tackle um, different things. But yeah, the punk rock with that 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 was over the top. I I couldn't even watch it. Oh yeah, man. So there's a piece of uh, trivia there. I didn't know that, Jim. Tom Petty was originally labeled incorrectly by his record label as a punk rock group. Oh wow, not even close. No, man. Um, here's from a very special episode of Family Ties. I can't believe I don't remember this one. Um, it's called Say Uncle. Of all the lessons learned in the episodes on this list, perhaps the most special is the one imparted by this second season of episode of Family Ties. Namely, it Tom Hanks. It is. Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks plays Uncle Ned, who gets hammered by downing a bottle of vanilla extract. The 70 proof concentrated dessert ingredient is one of the many unconventional beverages Tom Hanks attempted to imbibe as Uncle Ned when he was on a bender. He was previously seen fleeing from justice after embezzling money and things like that. But he drained. Yeah. um, Yeah. It just, he was an out of control alcoholic and it doesn't show him like actually drinking the, he would get on a bender so bad or jonesing so bad that he would drink things like the maraschino cherry garnishes and the vanilla extract and the mouthwash. 
Right. So it was not a funny guy. It was like this guy's hurting kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But um, so as I remember, I don't know if your article there tells you he the character was Elise's brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure I remember watching the episode. I just remember hearing about it. Yeah. I, that one does not ring a bell at all because I love Tom Hanks back then. Like, this is about the time, probably a little bit after Bosom Buddies and before he, you know, really went stellar. Big. Yeah. Before Bachelor Party. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, I think, in my opinion, this is the weirdest of the episodes. There was a short lived but very critically acclaimed called Dinosaurs. Yep. And it was dinosaur puppets, but they live like regular lives. Right. But this episode was called Steroids to Heaven instead of Stairway to Heaven. Among the factors contributing to the mass extinction of the dinosaurs, drug abuse is rarely mentioned. But this season three episode of Dinosaurs, it's a topic. While season two's episode called A New Leaf satirizes the special episode by concluding with an impassioned plea to say no. But um, it's actually a plea to say um put a stop help put a stop to preachy sitcom endings. So it forays into dino drug culture about a, um, a dinosaur that's roid raging. Seriously, seriously. So that, that, that was a serious episode. It was not a tongue in cheek sort of thing. It was, it kind of seemed like it had a foot in both camps. It was making fun of the preachy, but it was kind of like signaling the dangers of steroids. But they chose prehistoric puppets. <laughs> that like T-Rex looked swole with its short little arms. Well, I think Sid and Marty Croft used puppets to show the effects of drug use, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um all right, now it's time to get to the one that I saved. Yes. And we kind of gotta be a little bit serious here and funny because this episode scared me to death. Cause that, that's what they intended to do. Now a along when I was about third grade, this stayed with me. Um there's a child that was abducted from a mall and they found him deceased. And um, there was a lot of media panic about child abductions and things like that. And then this came out and it was a very special episode of different strokes called the bicycle man. Yep. Where Gordon jump of WKRP fame <laughs> and farm fame. Um, he had a bicycle shop where children would visit and, um, but Gordon jump was a pedophile of sorts and the, uh, of sorts. Oh, well I, yeah, I'm trying to, but the episode, it was a two parter and this is where it gets, you know, when I say cringeworthy, not the topic, but this, this should never have been put on a sitcom. It should have never been because it, 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 it didn't hold much back, did it, Eric? No. 
Um, and um, it was just very disturbing how um, you know, uh, Arnold, you know, the the main character Gary Coleman had to leave his best friend and run away from this guy because the guy had drugged his friend, and you know, he brought the police there, and a lot of the creepy behavior that Gordon Jump was is, is icky, and it was really like. It, it, it was kind of scary, wasn't it? I mean, I think that kind of behavior, I'm not sure what it would have done back then, but I think today it probably would get you like 20 years in jail. I mean, it was oh yeah, that, that heavy. It, it was that heavy. And this is what, 1982, 1983. Yeah. Um, and, um, and like I said, it was a two-parter. And, um, you know, I'm not going to make that soft paddle up, but, you know, we've kind of like laughed at some of the ham handed comments over the years from this episode. And, um, you know, Eric, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, um, so, but like, you know, I'm going to call them out to the carpet because like, what were they thinking? It's okay to uh, bring topics to the forefront, but th this is pretty traumatizing, wasn't it? The way it was presented, yes. The way it was presented and the fact that you didn't see it coming because it was different strokes, you know? Uh -huh. um, if I could make an analogy, it would be like, um, okay, I'm trying to think of a modern, okay, think of um, Sam and Cat or one of one of the kids shows that was a big deal or but then they didn't use euphemisms or anything it it, it would have just have been out there yeah. i'm doing a bad job of explaining this but yeah it was help me out eric it was just ham-handed i yeah i it was ham-handed makes it sound campy it, like you said it was frightening it was like it, it was, it was the thing that you it put in your mind as a, you know, eight, nine, ten year old of hey, like these people are, are all over everywhere. The place. Yeah, yeah, and um, it it just had a profound effect on people. But you know, it was very scary. Now, here here's the thousand dollar question, Eric. I'll ask you in the audience. Um, do you think when they did it? They meant it to be that terrifying. Were they trying to get a message across or were they just going, they were going for broke to be infamous? No, I mean, I would like to think that they did it with to, good intentions. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The intentions were good, I think. And, and probably trying to go to the level of scaring kids to death. They basically went all out. They did. They did. And, and it and it did. It it, it did. It, it it was it was a sight to behold, that's for sure. It's like when the credits are rolling, everybody's kinda of like going, you know, scared to death face. And um it was one of those things like um, you know, when we were kids, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties that that I've seen this meme a million times that I thought that quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem in my adult life <laughs> because, you know, there was a quicksand, you know, pitfall in every action movie. And I'm not even sure if quicksand actually exists, 
I mean, I think it does. I, I don't but, know. But I thought it was going to be a much bigger problem. <laughs> Walking through the woods, I'd see some sand. Don't step in that. It could be quicksand. <laughs> you know? Yes. But so, but, but, you know, on a lighter, on a heavier note, like what they were warning us about was like, ah, and, and you know, it, it, this episode gets mentioned a lot. Yeah. All right. So Jim, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of why I was getting at with the Sid and Marty Croft, HR Puffin stuff. Oh yeah. Those the negative effects of drug use. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and he says, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Of course, the, uh, infamous, Gordon Jump, yeah, Arthur Carlson quote. Um, and then you know I'll just end up on this. Like, uh, there was a very fa- very special after ABC after school special called Stoned, where Scott Bayo, a bespectacled, nerdy looking yes. Scott Bayo, yes, takes um a drag off of a marijuana cigarette, and it t- basically turns him into a schizophrenic Buffalo Bill. You know, like it was very um, ham-handed. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like somebody taking one sip of beer and then, you know, it's like Jesse Spano taking one extra caffeine pill. Yeah, exactly. And, and totally and, breaking down. Okay. And Eric, speaking of marijuana cigarettes, I was telling somebody this story a couple days ago. And you will back me up on this. Nobody believes me to this day. And you were there. When the Brown County Sheriff's Department in sixth grade, we were doing our drug education thing, which was a very 80s thing. And the sheriff's deputy lit up a joint, had this little, you know, squeezy thing that would blow the smoke. And his point was like, when you smell this at a party, you need to leave. But he actually lit up a joint in the classroom I, so we could see what it smells like. I, I will I will back you on that. I, was I, I mean, th- I have had liter- people literally call me a liar to my face. That is like, no, I'm serious. It happened. So my question is, did our parents have to give us consent for us to smell pot smoke? I don't think in 1982, no. <laughs> Today, yes. Well, absolutely. Well, today it wouldn't happen. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't remember taking papers home to be signed to do different things. And No, no. I mean, us boys didn't even get the very special puberty video. They just told us to wear deodorant and don't stink. Yeah, and then they sent us outside to extra recess, which... And then the girls all kind of came back, looked like they had just watched the most terrifying movie ever. I'm glad I got the extra recess, to be honest. Yeah, me too. And then, but, and then we were under penalty of death if we even asked about it. What did you guys watch? And they'd all be like, we're not allowed to talk about it. Like, <laughs> we just, what we did, we, we honestly didn't know. It's like, well, what did you guys do? We're not allowed to talk about it. It's like, ah. Uh. So, uh, Linda Liming, thank you for chiming in. She did not give permission, but remembers all the talk. Ah. So, Linda, were you as a parent upset about that? That's what I would like to know. I'm sure if I came home and told her that story, she probably thought I was exaggerating. 
or misinformed. Because even saying it out loud sounds crazy, doesn't it? It, it does sound crazy. It sounds insane. But then she heard it from me and knew it was an exaggeration. And it wasn't yes. just you making it up. And, um, you know, um, um, one of my biggest memories about that is one of our classmates was kind of overcome by the fumes a little bit. And she had to go out in the hallway because she got a little sick. What's even funnier, it was the pastor's daughter. And then she became that very, one to the reverend. And then she became very hungry. Yes. No, just, just kidding. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kidding about that, but, but not, but seriously, you know, it really happened. But all right. So, Jim, DARE, the only drug prevention program to cause more drug use than it prevents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't have DARE. No. We were pre DARE. She was not upset. She just thought it was just part of the Just Say No program. <laughs> that, can, can you imagine <laughs> the, 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 the state of social media in today's day and age if that happened in a school? Wow. All, all four local news programs would have a story on it. And the populace of parents would be divided in half. Where half of them be outraged, and half of them was like, "Daggone! I wish I was there." Yeah, right, right. You know, it's like um, it, it would have definitely been polarizing, to say the least. Indeed. All right. You know, we're, we're, I mean, we're sixth graders. I mean, sixth we're, graders. What, 11, 12 years old. Yeah. I mean, we. I mean, we weren't going to parties. But it, do you know seemed- what? It did help me identify it because the first time I ever smelled pot smoke in the wild was my dear sister took me to the Huey Lewis, the news concert at um, Timberwolf at Kings Island. And somebody was smoking it around. And I remember saying it real loud, like Mindy, that's pot smoke. And she's like, because <laughs> I was doing my due diligence. We need to move over. <laughs> We need to leave. Yeah. I wasn't Sheriff quite going that leave. far. So, because, uh, yes. you know, the concert was great. It was an amazing thing, but I do remember it, um, you know, and that's how we were given the description. It smells like burning binders twine. And that's very accurate. Very accurate. All right, Brady. Thank you. Good topic. Good topic. Okay, so back to our website, and I want to talk about our, uh, yes, www.playbyyourpodcast.com. I'm trying to, where where did my, trying to find the tab I shared. Where did our (laughs) website go? Did pull some isms up. We, we haven't it. talked about isms in a while. We have not. All right. Well. Then I have to wait till a, next week. Yeah, maybe let me just do a verbal uh, website, playbyyourpodcast.com. Uh, you can find said isms, uh, different uh, terms we use here on the show. If you uh, go to isms on the uh, menu, you can find uh, our Urban Dictionary-ish listing of our isms with definitions and 
for instances? Because it, it, it does take hold. It gets spread around like good Maxwell was referring earlier to where he impaled his gum on a French fry handle. Yes. About food handles. Yes. So. All right. So uh, our last topic here will be a fact or fiction. So audience members, you can chime in on this as well. Vray or foe. Vray or Vray ou foe. By the way, it is Madame Granger's birthday today. So happy birthday, Miss Granger, our French teacher, if she's out there. How is it? Happy birthday. How do you say happy birthday in French? I should know that. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, shoot. I'll have to. I, I know that it's a n e e n a is, and if it, or ah, uh, now I'm gonna. Ah, uh, you, you you caught me flat footed. <laughs> nice. All right. So again, we're going to do some fact or fiction. So we have several different topics here, and uh, you mentioned Huey Lewis. Yeah. So let's. Let's do a uh, Hugh Lou in the new Hugh Lou in the new fact or fiction. And I'll let you answer and then we can score your answers. Okay. All right. And again, uh, audience members, you can chime in here as well. Don't. All right. Uh, Huey Lewis's father is Gary Lewis, who scored big hits in the 60s like this diamond ring and count me in with his band, The Playboys. Fact or fiction? Dang. That'd be really cool if it were true, but it isn't. So you say fiction. Faux. Faux. Fiction is correct. Uh, the surname might confuse you. His actual uh, given name is Hugh Craig the third. The third. Hugh Anthony Craig the third to be totally uh I didn't have to read the the thing for that I, I knew that was fiction and the uh, Jim also says fiction on that all right members of Huey's pre-news band backed up Elvis Costello on his debut album that I did not know well I'm I'm asking fact or fiction oh I'm just gonna say because I've never heard that I'm gonna go true Gonna go fact. Okay, so the the band, the pre news band, was called Clover. Mm. Did you did you know that? I I heard that at some point. Okay. Uh, the band was called Clover. They were in England attempting to catch on in the burgeoning pub rock scene when Sean Hopper, Johnny Chimbotti, and Mickey Shrine were called up by Costello's producer Nick Lowe for session work with an aspiring singer-songwriter. Uh, Lewis wasn't needed because no harmonica was included on My Aim is True, Costello's acclaimed 1977 debut. Hopper would go on to join Huey Lewis in the news, and Costello would form the attractions for his next record. And Jim answers fact, and Jim is correct. That just sounds like something, one of those random things that would probably be true. And they were excellent session, but they, they were really good musicians. So makes yes. sense. Um, also, well, we'll get to that later. There's, there's something else about Clover that will come up here. All right. The song, The Heart of Rock and Roll, 
was customized to different cities. So if you were in Baltimore, you'd hear the line, the heart of rock and roll is still beating in Baltimore. Fact or fiction? I can attest that is true because I'd seen him live twice. It's Cincinnati. Yeah, it was a call out. Absolutely. Jim also answers fact. The Heart of Rock and Roll was customized to different cities. Uh, different versions of the Heart of Rock and Roll were sent to different radio stations around the country. So not only in concert, but there were different versions of the song that were sent to radio stations. That is cool. And cynical. I don't, remember, I don't remember a Cincinnati version being sent to Q102. No, I just remember hearing it at the show. Yeah. All right, so not long after producing ACDC's Back in Black album, Mutt Lang wrote Huey Lewis and the News' first big hit, Fact or Fiction. Mutt Lang. I just don't feel that is correct. Now, I've not clicked fact or fiction here, but I'm going to say fact because I think Mutt Lang did write Do You Believe in Love? And I click fact. Fact is correct. Ah. Mutt Lang, known for his production success with Def Leppard, Shania Twain, of course, his future wife at the time, and of course, ACDC wrote Do You Believe in Love, which gave the band their first hit. When it went to number seven in 1982, Jim also answered fiction. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, correct. And, and I'm going to be honest. I I was thinking sports on. I forgot about that one because from sports one doesn't sound mutt langy, right? But do you believe in love? Does yeah. So I, I missed. I yeah, got it. All right. So Huey Lewis got some unwanted publicity when the serial killer killer Jeffrey Dahmer said he was a big fan. Fact or fiction? I am going to say fiction, but the serial killer in American Psycho, played by Christian Bale, did talk about Huey Lewis. Fiction is correct. The only serial killer obsessed with Lewis is a fictional one, Patrick Bateman, the antihero of Brad Easton Ellis's novel American Psycho, talks about the merits of the sports album. Jim said fact on that one. All right, I'm going to skip the next question because I think everyone knows that Huey Lewis yeah. does appear in the movie Back to the Future. Just too darn loud is his line. All-time great NFL quarterback Joe Montana sings on one of Huey's biggest hits. Fact or fiction? Uh, I'm going by the music video here. I'm yeah. going to say Fact. I will also say fact, and uh, before I click the fact button here, it's hip to be square. Yep. Hitler and everywhere. Yeah. Fact, fact is correct. Uh, he coaxed Montana along with several of his 49ers teammates, including Dwight Clark and Ronnie Lott, to sing back up on the 1986 hit, Hip to be Square. Um, The second time I saw Huey Lewis at Riverbend, he, he is a sports fan and a San Francisco sports fan, but that's when the Giants and the Reds were battling it out for NL West supremacy. And uh, he made the comment during the concert, 
in the and this was true at the time he was like um cincinnati is great you've got all this but there's one thing you don't have pitching and the crowd just went Bah. All right, Jim also said fact on that. Jim, you are correct. All right. Uh, all of Lewis's hits were in the 80s. Fact or fiction? Fact. Fact is wrong. Lewis is often associated with the 80s, which is understandable considering the success he had in the decade. But in 1991, the news album Hard at Play featured the singles Couple Days Off, It Hit Me Like a Hammer, which made it to number 11 and number 21, respectively. I'm a Huey Lewis guy, but that's not ringing a bell. All I want is a couple days off. Yeah. Don't you know it hit me like a hammer? Doo, doo, All doo, right. Got to be honest. I, I didn't realize it was charted. Yep. Yes. All right. Moving on. We will get a little bit more generalized here with a Yacht Rock quiz. Ah. Yeah, it's rock. I love it. All right. The smooth hey, pop want, sounds of the late you, 70s and early 80s. You want to hear something funny, though? I would have hated it back in the day. Indeed. Now I love it. Yeah. All right. The phrase Yacht Rock was coined by the popular web series of the same name. Fact or fiction? I've got to plead ignorance on this one, so I'm going to say fiction. Fiction? Fiction is correct. I guessed. Although the humorous web series certainly popularized the term, according to the singer of the Yacht Rock Review, Nicholas, and I don't know how to say his last name, someone else created it. There was a radio DJ in Cincinnati sometime in the 80s that coined the phrase Yacht Rock. But those guys really opened the door for everything with that web series. And Jim said fiction. Jim is correct. I wonder who that DJ was. I would like to, uh, I mean, would it be Mark Sebastian? That would be my guess. Yeah. Tony Tennille sang backing vocals on a recording by Pink Floyd. Actor fiction. <laughs> That's that's so random that it has to be fact. <laughs> fact is correct. <laughs> only because. Not only did one half of the Captain and Tennille supply backup vocals on the wall, but so did a pair of the Beach Boys. Would it be something if it was the Captain and Tennille? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did some work with Elton John, among others. And, uh, yeah, about that. Wow. All right. Christopher Cross filled in for Richie. Jump. (laughs) Filled in for Richie Blackmore at a Deep Purple gig. Fact or fiction? Fiction, because Christopher Cross plays keyboard, I think. Fiction is wrong. Get out. 
the man who gave us the smooth sounds of sailing and Arthur's theme as a rocker at heart, befriending guitarist Eric Johnson, Billy Gibbons, and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and admitting I was a big Zeppelin fan, and I have that some. I have to say that somebody I listened to a lot early on that night might surprise people, and that was a big influence. It was Frank Zappa. Frank, I listened to a lot. No, I can see that. And according to Cross, he once filled in for an ailing Richie Blackmore at a Deep Purple performance. I I, I did not realize that he um, played guitar. I had no idea. I always associated him with tickling the ivories. How about that? All right. Hall and Oates turned down a deal with Arista Records in part because the label insisted that John Oates shave his mustache. That seems like a great story, but I'm going to say fiction. Brady says fiction. Fiction is correct. Jim said fact. That never happened, but there's an origin story behind his famous mustache. Although he no longer sports a furry upper lip once upon a time, including during during his band's commercial heyday, John Oates's mighty mustache was simply iconic, but its beginnings stretched back much further than the band's debut. The moment he graduated from high school, he started growing hair, growing his hair and growing his mustache. That would have been 1966. So he grew a mustache because he could. Basically. I'm going to give a, a props to Keith Ellis. Um, he was a proprietor of the feed mill in Sardinia, Ohio. And as a kid, he, he told a joke that made me laugh and that they were going to get t-shirts made up. that said H A U L I N Holland Oats <laughs> because they had to deliver free. And that right. made me laugh tremendously. <laughs> and it's also one of my favorite lines from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You know, like that guy, I want to be a musician like that guy, Holland Oates. It's like, no, it's two guys. No, I thought his name was Holland Oates. Holland Oates. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kenny Loggins shot some scenes for the movie Caddyshack playing a hapless golfer, but they did not make the final cut. Fact or fiction? I don't see why not. Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Schmales, yes. April, are you being serious or are you are you pulling our leg here? April S. Welcome, by the way. Said she didn't realize that was their names. I thought it was just a band name. Seemed country to me. <laughs> I'm glad you tuned in to play it by ear, April, because Scherzinger and Witzlanger. Are very happy you did. She's, <laughs> she says, I, I made good. up last names. Yes. That is hilarious. April, I made my day. That, that was good. All right. Uh, so back to uh, Kenny Loggins. He shoot scenes for Caddyshack. Jim says fact. It, it makes sense, but it seems almost a little bit too convenient. Um, I'm going to say fiction. He says fiction. Fiction is correct. Yeah. He was never supposed to act in the film, but did provide the theme song. I'm all right, of course. 
According to Loggins, the scene was originally cut to a Bob Dylan song. I saw Caddyshack as a rough cut, and the temp music in that was a Dylan thing. And it was played at the introduction of the lead character, Danny Noonan. 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 Yes, April Hauling Oats. I could sardine feed mill. All right. According to Robbie Dupree, the Yacht Rock footwear of choice is Capazio men's dance shoes. Fact or fiction? Do you know who Robbie Dupree is? I should. Steal away. Steal away. Um, I'm going to say fiction because Miami Vice told, taught me that when you're futzing around your uh, boats and sailboats, you wear a good pair of Esperdias. So I'm going to say fiction. Lady says fiction. Fiction is wrong. Oh. This is a problem for the Yacht Rock Review, which likes to stay authentic to the era with bell bottoms, leisure suits, and plenty of polyester. Their singer, and uh, Yacht Rock Review is a band, by the way, has searched far and wide for those shoes, but without success. I had this ongoing conversation with Robbie Dupree about it. He's always on me about footwear. He's like, back in the day, we just wore Capizio men's dance shoes. All right. Air Supply was all over the airwaves in the early 80s, but they never scored a number one hit on the Hot 100. Fact or fiction? I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this. I, I am too because they had so many hits. They had, you know, they have an impressive list of top twenty hits. I'm sure, but can I attest to number one? I, I'm kind of thinking that, that that's going to be fiction. I think that um, I'm trying to think of which one would be the. I would think all out of love. If, if any of them went number one, it'd be that one. Now, see, I was thinking making love out of nothing at all. Well, there's that one too. That's true. Here I am. Or not to be confused with the one that you love. <laughs> right. We're, we're, we are well oxygenated because we definitely are into our air supply here. Yes, yes, we are. Um, uh, Jim says it's fact. Okay. What's your answer, Brady? I'm going to stick with my original answer that um, now they had a number one. You you So you say it's fiction that they never had a number one. Correct. Fiction is correct. In the four-year span from 1980 to 83, Air Supply had an impressive eight top five hits, including All Out of Love, Even the Nights Are Better, Making Love Out of Nothing at All, and they did indeed manage to hit the top of the Billboard Hot 100 with the one that you love in 1981. Even the Nights Are Better is my personal favorite Air Supply song. I think Making Love Out of Nothing at All is my favorite. Making Love. The, the, the climax of the song I like. <laughs> ah. All right. <laughs> the famous line, if you like pina coladas, 
if you let pina colada was originally if you like humphrey bogart in escape the pina colada song fact or fiction if you like humphrey bogart <laughs> i'm trying to make it work here <laughs> humphrey <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna say fiction because that's silly. <laughs> Unless it's spelled H U M P H A R Y Humphrey. You say fiction. <laughs> I did. All right. Fiction is wrong. Oh, please tell me it's Humphrey. <laughs> uh. Savannah and Jimbo said fiction. Fiction is wrong. Rupert Holmes originally had the Hollywood legend in place of the sweet alcoholic beverage. According to Holmes, the star of such films as Casablanca and the African Queen was originally included in the song's lyric. The toughest thing was coming up with the rhymes for Escape because I had the song called Escape. And the chorus went, if you like Humphrey Bogart and getting caught in the rain. <laughs> Are you serious? No, it's Humphrey. Oh, 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 you broke my heart, man. I was about ready to like, I, I was going to march out of this room and I was going to march down the street doing a victory dance. All right. So we're going to go off on a tangent here because <laughs> this is a conversation I had with my brother-in-law in Michigan when I was up there this past week. The Pina Colada song. Who... Who had a right to be angry? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. All right. And I was always of, of the belief, because I must not have listened to the lyrics close enough. I always thought he was the one that wrote the the ad and the, the personal ad in the paper, and she responded. But it was the other way around. She wrote the personal ad. He responded. So she had written that personal ad. While laying in bed with him, well, she had already written it, but they the laying in bed together. He's reading the paper. He sees the personal ad while she's he's laying next to her. Responds to the personal ad, it's her, and then they just ha 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 how funny. Let's put this into modern context and I'll tell you how it's gonna go down. So let's put a reality TV camera. In the place where he responds to a tender ad and he shows up and it's her, there's not going to be giggling and laughing. No. No. Chris Hansen's going to come out of the closet, you know, come through the door and say, What were you doing in this room? You know, um, right. But yeah, um, no, no, no. I, I, I think, um, tag on. You know, dude, I think you just blew my mind because I always just assumed he wrote it too. Because yeah, I put I put the jerkitude basically on him. But actually, right. I'm shifting it to two-thirds her jerkitude and one-third his jerkitude. And, and I, I don't know why I went that direction because the lyrics clearly state he was reading the paper and found yeah. a personal ad, which she wrote. So he you know responded, I yes, I like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. He responded. 
Yeah. Interesting. So, do, do you know what my favorite part of that song is? What's that? That has one of the most luscious, beautiful guitar tones on that. <laughs> it does. I'm, I'm that, that, that's some nice analog recording there that just has warmth to it. Agreed. So uh, Jim says both or neither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of where I am with it. April says well, neither because they find each other anew and are back in love. Okay. But could, but could you honestly trust <laughs> on either end of that going forward? What if she knew that he was having some thoughts about straight because it was the 70s? What if she wrote it knowing she knew all that he liked all those things? And they were just doing some kind of weird relationship role play, and they both knew it. They were both in on it. He was unknowingly in on it? No, he was knowingly in on it. He was knowingly in on it. Yeah. But so maybe he dressed he up in an outfit he normally wouldn't wear, and she dressed up in an outfit that she normally wouldn't wear. Maybe gave a fake name at the restaurant that they were meeting at. <laughs> Is that a reservation for well, Andre Broussard? <laughs> Okay, well, there's another piece of the puzzle there that is not mentioned in the lyrics. So you go to this restaurant. You're not asking for the person who's your girlfriend. She had to have given a fake name. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's an excellent point. Wouldn't that see that makes it worse? Because she's, <laughs> she's trying to bamboozle him with a fake name and a fake... Hoodwink. Hoodwink, Yes. I, you know, I, I don't know where this goes. I think they're both culpable here, but she may be a little bit more culpable. Well, April's chastising me here. <laughs> yes. Don't ruin it, Brady. We're, we're way overthinking this. They say that I told I do that. that from time to time. That is in the lyric, Jim. You're correct. The, the lyric says, I never knew. So... Do you, it's, it's, have it's you not ever a seen case the, of her knowing that he likes these things? It didn't have a music video, but I have seen like a YouTube video of the guy performing it. Boy, it bugs me. Nobody should earnestly shake their head like he is. The sideways shake is not good. He could get into it, but it's like if you look pink club, and it just annoy me the whole time. You can't shake your head like that. His head's going the wrong way. It should be going like this, not like this. My rules, I make him. Yeah. April, that's correct. You didn't give your name in the personal ad, but they met in a restaurant. So when he went to the restaurant, he would have had to ask for, hey, where is so-and-so sitting? Or did he just walk in and maybe maybe just walked in and said, I think my party is already here. But Could how you show me the lady who ordered a pina colada? Well, I, well yeah. But, but, but he, she, he wouldn't have known she was already there because there was no cell phones then. True. Right? Correct. How would he have known who to look for? She would have had to give a fake name at the at the at the, at the place. Now, I'm going to go one further, which makes me think that she might have planned it and writ, wrote it for him, because she was probably sitting there looking for him, waiting to come through the door with this. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. 
And Who would have thought that we could have got into this song so depthy? This, this is like a coleslaw conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. This is what uh, we do. Yes. Okay, so before I ask this question, Brady, you know the song Magnet and Steel. Which song? Magnet and Steel. No, I don't think so. I am the magnet, you are the steel. It plays on the Yacht Rock channel all the time. Okay, so Who does it? Walter Egan. Nah, then Sam Mayer. It wouldn't do me a good to ask you the question then. Okay. If you don't know the song. Okay, so Orleans. 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 The band. Still the one. Oh, yeah, still the, the one. one. Yeah. So the member of or- members of Orleans appear shirtless on one of their album covers for the ladies. <laughs> Fact or fiction? <laughs> Probably with bushy the, chest hair. The, the, that album cover gets mocked a lot. <laughs> I might have to pull it up. If it's the one I'm thinking of. So do you think it's, it was for the ladies that they did that? Fact or fiction? Um, That's not what I was thinking, but... I, I'm so. <laughs> um, I'm not. Jim says fiction. Okay, this is taking me down the rabbit hole of the worst album covers of all time, and it just cracks me up. <laughs> is that on there? Um, it is, but it's not the one I was thinking of. So I'm going to say fiction. <laughs> I accidentally cheated. Fact. On their 1976... Oh, I found it. On their 1976 the album, Waking and Dreaming, the group poses topless, according to Orleans singer-guitarist John Hall. <laughs> Photographer Norman Sheaf had a last-minute suggestion during the photo shoot for the oh. album's cover which did not include full nudity. He shot for two hours, and he said at the very end of our time, I've got two frames left. How about you all take your shirts off? So we did. Took two more pictures, and wouldn't you know that the record company picked that one to be the album cover. Uh, How about that? I don't like it. (laughs) All right. I think we have uh, time for one more here. So I'm going to go to, if I can find it, Early MTV. Yes. Early days of MTV. My formative years. All right, back uh, back when MTV actually played videos. All right. Todd Rundgren. Bang the drum all day, right? Tried to launch a music video channel that would have preceded MTV, fact or fiction. Todd Rundgren's one of those guys. I'm not like a huge, I'm not well versed in a lot of his stuff. Not a huge yeah. fan, but I understand like he's always regarded as a very um, forward thinking, ahead of his time kind of guy. Yeah. It would not surprise me, but I'm going to say fiction. Fiction? Well, and I have no reason for thinking that. I just, that's where I'm leaning. Fiction is wrong. 
From the initial royalties he received from producing Meatloaf, Meatloaf's mega seller, Bad Out of Hell, Todd Rundgren built a video studio in Bearsville, New York. Soon after, a plan was hatched to launch a music video channel complete with BJs. Todd went as far as putting $10,000 down as a deposit on a transponder channel for a satellite, but then something went, in the words of the article here, Kruflui. And uh, one of the satellites got lost, according to Todd oh. Rundgren, and he lost his transponder, and the rest is history. Man. All right. Jim said fiction, by the way. Yeah. All right. Devo's Whip It video yeah. contains footage of a pornographic film, fact or fiction? I don't recall any. I just remember. Now I'm going to say fiction. I mean, that would be what I would think, too. I'm remembering the video. I don't. Jim says fact. But we'll go with your answer, Brady. Fiction. Fiction is correct. But they did depict food sex in another video, according to Devo bassist Gerald Casal. Casal. A discussion with MTV executive Les Garland led to a scene having to be edited out of their video for That's Good. And, uh, uh, in that video, they had a cartoon donut flying through space, and you've got a cartoon French fry going through. <laughs> <laughs> then it cuts to a girl with a smile on her face. <laughs> oh, those are innocent times. Yes. All right. David Lee Ross crotch is soaked in the Hot for Teacher video. Fact or fiction? I don't remember paying much attention to David's Lee Roth <laughs> or David Lee's Roth <laughs> yeah I think I chose the wrong one there is Roth's <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Roth? <laughs> no, I said Rolves. Um, <sighs> Did not know that was James's favorite song. How about that? Fact. Fact. Going. Fact is correct. At the end of the Hot for Teacher video, there is a Where Are They Now segment in which it says that David Lee Roth has gone on to become a game show host. But according to the writer-director of the clip, Pete Angelus, he and the band pulled off a prank that went entirely undetected. And he says, one thing I remember that about that video is a lot of people don't know or maybe didn't see. When Dave turns into a television show host, we had an idea. I thought, you know, there hasn't been a really substantial urine stain on MTV ever when you really think about it. So let's pour a lot of water on David's crotch. Let's make it look like he really just pissed himself. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? I'm I don't feel tardy. At, I'm gonna have to look that video up on YouTube. All right, original VJ Martha Quinn was not MTV's first choice. Fact or fiction? Uh, 
See, I think I remember reading someplace that she jumped off the screen test because she was the girl next door. Yeah. I, I think that's fiction. They really wanted her bad. And that's what I would think as well. Nina Blackwood was the smoky city. And um, Martha Quinn was the wholesome girl next door. Correct. Fiction is your answer, which would be yeah. mine as well. Fiction is wrong. Although Martha Quinn would go on to become a popular VJ for the channel, she was not MTV's first choice. Veteran radio DJ Meg Griffin was. As Nina Blackwood recalls, they hired me first, then Mark, then Meg Griffin. May Griffin decided she didn't want to do TV. She wanted to stay with radio. So the rest is history. I loved Martha Quinn. Yes. In many ways. Yeah, she was so cool. Madonna was nearly killed when she got too close to the lion in her Like a Virgin video. Fact or fiction? That just sounds made up. That sounds like fiction. She clearly says she made it through the wilderness. So the lion couldn't have touched her. Fiction is correct. The lion did get a little growly in that one, but it was on the set of Madonna's video for Burning Up, where she nearly met her doom. Uh, nearly killed her on her first video because we had a cherry picker looking down on her at a lake. We weren't quite over the top of her. I asked them to push out the arms so we could be over her. As we reached over her head from 50 feet with 22 tons of metal, I looked back and saw that we, as we were extending... The back wheels of the crane had lifted off the ground. <laughs> so the crane nearly tipped over on her. Wow. All right. Next question. I think this is uh, probably common knowledge. Uh, by the way, Jim said fiction on that. So fiction is correct. Real gang members were used as extras in Michael Jackson's video for Beat It. Fact or fiction? I'm going to say fiction because they danced too professionally. See, I say fact because I think it is fact. Okay. You say fiction. We'll go with your answer, fiction. Fiction. Jim said fact, by the way. Fiction is wrong. At Jackson's suggestion, real L.A. gang members were brought in as extras. Uh, according to the director, I was wanting to do the big dance number on the second night, naively thinking that the Crips and the Bloods would come back again, but it was apparent that they weren't getting along, and the police came down to Anthony, our producer, and said, I'm sorry, I've really got to close it down. It's getting a little dangerous. So the dancing part of the video was not real gang members, but there were real right. gang members in the video. All right. For the first three years, the MTV Video Music Awards were hosted by the VJs. Fact or fiction? Uh, fiction. I don't remember them presenting videos. I remember being celebrity presenters. You say fiction? Ms. Wilson says Fact. Fiction is correct. Celebrities have always hosted this party to the VJ's dismay. Um, according to VJ Alan Hunter, the, he and the fellow VJs were perturbed that they were not asked to host the inaugural VMAs. The stuff stopped when the VMAs were on. That yes. was must-see TV as a ute. It was. 
I scheduled my social schedule in sixth and seventh grade <laughs> around watching the VMAs. Correct. All right, Brady, you probably know this one. Sting refused to take his shirt off for the police's don't stand so close to me video. Fact or fiction? Fiction, because he does. Fiction, because he does. Fiction is correct. Oh. Miss Wilson said fact for the VJ question. Or the MJ question. Michael Jackson. All right. Fiction is correct. As police... Drummer Stuart Copeland explains in the book, Sting pulled his shirt off unrehearsed. I'm sure he had it planned in his mind. But as I said, he would have been mortified to have discussed such a brazen tactic and he would have pretended it was spontaneous. So, you're correct, he does. Loverboy's Mike Reno came up with his trademark headband look after spotting professional tennis players of the era wearing similar headgear. Working for the weekend in Bjorn Borg. I'm trying to see if they were peers. McEnroe wore headbands too. He did. But I think Bjorn Borg. Yeah. I'm going to say fiction. That doesn't feel right. Jim says fact. Brady says fiction. Fiction is correct. According to Loverboy guitarist Paul Dean, he was the gentleman that turned his singer on to wearing a headband, spotted in such popular clips as Working for the Weekend and Turn Me Loose. Quote, I wore a headband that first night, and Mike liked the idea and stole it off of me, the son of a blank. All right. Last question. Apollonia. (sighs) I knew you'd say that was a video vixen, not just for Prince, but also for Eddie Money. Fact or fiction? It doesn't tell us what Eddie Money song. It does not. Well, Eddie Money, rest his soul, tremendous musician, but not a super attractive gentleman. No. And I think Apollonia would have been out of his league for being... Two tickets to paradise. I'm going to say fiction. Brady says fiction. Jim says fact. Fiction is wrong. Best known as Prince's love interest in the 1984 film Purple Rain, Apollonia, real name Patricia Cotero, actually appeared in a few earlier music videos, The Other Woman by Ray Parker Jr., and shaken by Eddie Money. According to Money, he wound up in hot water with Apollonia's boyfriend during the video shoot. She had a boyfriend that was a karate expert, and the guy was <laughs> always ready to break my arms in half. He was a very jealous man. I never would have hit on her because I had an old lady at the time. Yes, it's Eddie Money. You know how it is. Some people think you're hitting on the ladies even when you're not. You get in all kinds of blanking trouble. It happens to me year after year after year. I would hate to see Eddie's monies get crushed by a karate kick. <laughs> I would not see them want to be turned into change. <laughs> there you go. All right. 
There's your fact or fiction. Wow, that's fun. It is. All right, anything else for the good of the order, Brady? Nope, but as you could probably tell, I could wax poetically about it. I, I, I can engage in MTV discussion for hours. Indeed. All right, want to remind you, our audio version of this podcast will come out on Friday morning. Anchor.fm backslash play it by your podcast is our host site. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find all those on our website, www.playbyyourpodcast.com. The iHeartRadio app is another one. Uh, You can leave us a voice message. The iHeartRadio app has a talkback feature. Uh, We can put your voice message into the show. So uh, we always ask for those and uh, hope you can send us one. Uh, Also on video, we are on YouTube. Search Play By Your Podcast for our channel. Uh, Also on Facebook, the uh, live video will be archived. And on Twitch. Twitch, Twitch. Twitch, Twitch. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those links can be found on our website. You can also interact via email at admin at playbyyourpodcast.com. And once again, you can leave a voice message by clicking the link at your podcast provider. Anything else, Brady? <laughs> no, I, I did think about it halfway through the episode. Last, I promise I'll be fast. I forgot to ask Todd while he was at Cracker Barrel. We have this running joke that whenever you go to Cracker Barrel and if you open up the restroom door and go in, <laughs> there's always somebody conducting commerce awkwardly. And I forgot to ask him if that was the case this time or not. He'll have to, I was hoping he'd be still maybe hanging around so he could fill us in on that. <laughs> All right. In honor of Todd's absence, Brady, would you like to take us out? Peace. Thanks for listening to the Play It By Ear podcast. You can follow us on Facebook. Twitter at Play It By Ear Pod 2 and our website at anchor.fm backslash Play It By Ear Podcast. Thanks again and join us next time as we play it by ear.